Hey, Jeremy. Yeah, what's up, Jer? So, we are deep in pumpkin spice season. Mm. Are you a pumpkin spice guy? I am basic as they come. I love me some pumpkin spice. So you do. You oh are, yeah, you're into it. I love pumpkin spice. Now, what do you what do you consume pumpkin spice in or on? Are you I, the classic you know, pumpkin spice latte, the PSL from the <laughs> like from Starbucks and Dunkin' and all that kind of yeah. thing? Or? Well, that's that's a little bit rich for my blood, as it were. But I, I do I do like the uh, the pumpkin spice creamers and things like that, and they've got pumpkin spice muffin. Pumpkin spice donuts and pumpkin spice this and pumpkin spice that. <laughs> I, I'm totally all about the pumpkin spice. Awesome, awesome. Well, being so deep in pumpkin spice season, uh, it got me to think about the fact that, you know, our our lives as Americans uh, are very influenced by, like, the uh, the retail definition of the year, the, the hallmark definitions of the year, insofar as... Uh, uh, you know, the, the year is divided into uh, the holiday fall season, then there's the Christmas season, then there's the Valentine's mm. Day, and then there's, you know, so basically yeah. like oh, yeah. whatever the seasonal <laughs> aisle in Target or Walmart is, that's sort of the definition of our year. And so it got me thinking or wondering, do you have any particular watches, any particular TV shows or movies that correspond to... That, that way we define our year, that shape our year. Do you have any, like, fall favorites or, you know, I mean, the, the classic <laughs> is like Christmas movies. Oh, but yeah, yeah. Beyond that, uh, do you, any anything come to mind? You know, there's there's a, a lot of those seasonal movies out there, and uh, I'm a big uh, Christmas fan, but um, I'm also really dig thanksgiving i don't think there's really that many thanksgiving movies out there but uh not so much it, movies per se but i'm a big fan of bob's burgers they have the the, the typical halloween one uh -huh. and they've got thanksgiving and thanksgiving is a big holiday for bob and it's a big holiday for me and then they have they have a christmas one and they'll usually have like a, a valentine's day something like that and so that's that's my seasonal defining uh -huh, watching uh -huh. yep, is, yep, yep. is is actually a series a tv series rather than uh, a, a movie although you did so. mention in a previous podcast you did mention that you have the annual tradition uh around the polar express on Christmas oh yeah Eve. yeah so there's yeah. there's that one i've already started planning the cookies and and uh I'm going to do something a little extra special for the kids. I know they're not going to listen to this by Christmas time, but <laughs> I'm going to do something a little special for their, their cocoa. Excellent. Cookies. Excellent. Yeah, I was thinking, because as I was thinking about it, you know, I thought I thought of what you said with Polar Express. I was thinking about for, uh, for us, for my family, Halloween brings with it mm, particular yeah. media that we consume. Pretty much every Halloween, we must watch Ghostbusters, of course, as a family, and we are also we are also a Hocus Pocus family. We are yeah. we are into that cult film that just had the anniversary <laughs> and just had a sequel come out. So excited about that! But we are so every Halloween it's Ghostbusters and Hocus Pocus. It's funny you went Classic. to TV shows with Bob's Burgers because I when I think of Thanksgiving media. I always go to Friends, the TV show. Oh, you're the moist maker. As a, <laughs> as a as a TV as a series, it's got its issues. It's, there are parts of it that really don't age well. 
you know, the, yeah. the utter lack of diversity, all that kind of stuff. Doesn't age well. But you got to admit that the each year they would do a Thanksgiving episode yeah. in which the six of them were just at home together. And mm. those, and that allowed those comedians to do what they do best, which is bring the funny. And just those Thanksgiving episodes, I think, are classic Friends episodes that uh, every year around yeah. Thanksgiving time, especially now thanks to the streaming services making it so easy to to be able to navigate to particular episodes, I'll just like I'll just like uh, <laughs> click on a Thanksgiving episode and make that uh, make that go. Don't you think though it's a little bit strange how they 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 always got the the Christmas things and then they've got Halloween movies and and there's even a few movies where uh, rom coms that are centered around uh, Valentine's Day and that kind of thing, but there are no Thanksgiving movies. Well, even though it's it's one of the biggest movie going holidays. Uh, it's it, it, they don't have any like is there a defining movie for thanksgiving i challenge you i challenge you i know i know someone eventually is going to be like but actually this movie is a Thanksgiving. yeah yeah but is it really yeah i've got to imagine that there are some comedies out there probably because thanksgiving is all about the family coming together and everything exploding yeah. so you know so because the, the the cliche is that Thanksgiving is always a disaster because you're getting everybody together, you know, yeah. in a family. Uncle Jim should not be drinking that bourbon. <laughs> that's right. That's right. How about the how about the rest of the year though? At Easter time, any Easter media? No, not really. Um, that is, of course, if you assuming you celebrate right, Easter. Right. Where we are, uh, our our family is Christian and we celebrate Easter. I will say that I think that one of the movies we watch repeatedly at Easter time is Rise of the Guardians. Do you remember that one? No. It was an animated it was an animated movie about how Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, <laughs> and Sandman uh, are the guardians. These legendary figures are all called guardians, and they're guardians of a particular aspect of childhood. I'm, I'm going to have to write this down. Oh, yeah. What, what is it called again? Rise of the Guardians. Rise. And the plot is... That the boogeyman who brings nightmares to to <laughs> children begins to wreck all of the holidays, and the guardians must rise up and defend against the boogeyman. And he's winning, except for the fact that uh, this scamp of a little figure named Jack Frost enters the picture, and ultimately Jack Frost defeats the boogeyman and becomes a new guardian on a level with Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and everything else. And one of the reasons why we watch it at Easter specifically is because while in the course of the movie, Easter and Christmas, well, maybe just Easter and Christmas, but both holidays are featured in the movie and the Easter Bunny in this movie is the most badass Easter Bunny you have ever seen. <laughs> It All is, right, I'm definitely going to have to watch this. Voice, <laughs> I, I can't remember who voiced him, but he's got an Australian accent. Might be Hugh Jackman, I'm not sure. But he is, he's got big feet, he's tall, and, his, uh, and he, like, he battles. He's a badass <laughs> battling bunny whose magic, whose magic allows him to, he just taps his big paw, his big foot twice on the ground, <laughs> and a tunnel shows up to Ooh. anywhere. And Whoa. so he just taps his foot and he can just jump into a tunnel and then he can just appear anywhere else in the world. 
and he and he's got like exploding Easter eggs, if I remember correctly. Wow! But he's just badass. And one of the ways in which he is, uh, one of the ways in which he is defeated is that he becomes cute, and he hates being cute in the movie. And so it's just so much fun. And so we I'm gonna, watch. I'm gonna have to watch that. We watch Rise of the Guardians at Easter. And have you forgotten, my friend, the seminal Fourth of July film? Oh. Oh, a well, franchise see, so, on our franchise uh, list here at yes. Two Guys and a oh, Franchise. Yeah. Now, let me let me preface this by saying that the two most important women in my life, being my wife and my daughter, their birthday is July third. Oh. So our our July fourth is dominated by their birthday. <laughs> eclipsed but, a little bit. Yeah, eclipsed, but oh. No, there is no forgetting. Welcome to Earth. I want to. I want to do the the speech, but I can't remember it now. You know. But yes, today we celebrate Day. our Independence, Independence Day. Fun fact: Did you know that that was actually written by a White House speechwriter? No. For Clinton, yes. Oh, that's so fun. Yes, that's why. That's why it had that feel, that gravitas. I'm to gonna it. cut this out so you okay. can save that gem for when we actually talk about those movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Fine. All right. Well, one of the reasons why I asked about holiday and seasonal media is because today we launch into the MCU, and of course, the MCU has just recently brought us two classic holiday-themed pieces of media in the TV show Hawkeye, which is set very much in the time frame of Hawkeye is really defined by Christmas and New Year's, and, of course, the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which is an instant classic if ever there were. But before we get talking about the MCU, we cannot forget that this is Two Guys in a Franchise. Cue the theme music. Welcome to Two Guys in a Franchise. I'm Jerry. I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about the MCU Phase 1 and Iron Man. So before we jump into the actual content segments of our podcast today, I thought it might be worthwhile for anyone in our audience who found us by way of, say, Star Wars or Star Trek, but maybe isn't a comic book or superhero nerd quite like uh, quite like we aspire to be, and might not be real familiar with the MCU. Probably most people know that MCU stands for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although what was fun was, just recently my wife and I were talking about it, and she kept saying the Marvel comic book universe. Which I was like, <laughs> no, no, babe, confused. that's not what MCU stands for. So I thought I'd begin with some basic vocabulary. MCU stands for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because Marvel, of course, is the publisher, uh, one of the two major comic book publishers in the mm. United States, Marvel and DC. So Marvel is a comic book publisher that... Back in 2008, which we're going to talk a lot more about a little bit later, back in 2008, they launched their own movie studios, Marvel Studios, to go with Marvel comic books. 
and Marvel Studios began this sort of grand experiment in movie making, because I don't think it's ever been done the way that Marvel has done it, that, uh, that they build themselves as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, meaning bringing the comic book characters from Marvel Comics into the movies, cinema, cinematic universe. The, what they did was, from the earliest days, the super uber producer, Kevin Feige, who's in charge of Marvel Studios, he would divide the output of Marvel Studios uh, and organize, so to speak, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, into phases, where they would talk about phase one, leading to phase two, leading to phase three. Tonight, we're going to talk about phase one, phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe basically means one, two, three, four, five, six, the first six Marvel movies that were made by Marvel Studios. That is phase one. And so those movies include Iron Man, the original 2008 movie Iron Man, which is our Wheel of Wheel Random, of random episode, episode Selection, selection. selection for this evening that we will be discussing specifically. After Iron Man came The Incredible Hulk, also in 2008, Iron Man 2 in 2010, Thor in 2011, Captain America The First Avenger in 2011, and Marvel's The Avengers in 2012. And the reason that I say I think the MCU is a first for movie making, first experiment in this kind of movie making, is Marvel Studios signed these actors to play these characters in many, in multiple films. Their contracts would specify like a certain number of movies before they had to renegotiate their contracts, which made it possible for the MCU to build up multiple movie series based on particular characters that then could overlap and cross over and ultimately team up in their other in other Marvel movies culminating in phase one, culminating in the 2012 Marvel's The Avengers movie, in which Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Thor, and Captain America, as well as the, the secondary characters of Hawkeye and, uh, of course, the Black Widow, would team up, come together in one movie. So characters, the characters played by the same actors from their own movies, got together and had a group movie, and that is phase one of the MCU. So I, I, I wanted to interject here, and I know I'm not alone in saying that Marvel, please, please have a Hulk movie with Mark Ruffalo. I love Mark Ruffalo. And if, if you ever listen to this podcast, can I get a signed autograph, please? I, I, I want to see, I would love to see a Hulk movie. And I know they were talking about doing World War Hulk as a movie, and then it got kind of shelved. And, you know, I, as, as much as I like Edward Norton, he was not my favorite Hulk. You know, I, I think Lou Ferrigno is probably my favorite Hulk if I were going to cover one. That's, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> out there. Oh, right. uh, well, we can talk more about the Hulk later. Yes, but just yes. to finish out yeah. the vocabulary lesson about MCU before we start talking more about Phase 1. So Phase 1 were those six movies. Then Phase 2 had another set of movies. Phase 3 had another set of movies culminating with, uh, ultimately, it came to the Avengers 
Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And the Avengers Endgame then closed the first MCU saga. So (laughs) a group of Marvel movies and TV shows is called a phase, and a group of phases is called a saga. And the saga, the first saga that the MCU presented was the Infinity Saga, which had everything to do with the Infinity Stones, which made up the Infinity Gauntlet, which was the ultimate aim of Thanos, the the uh, villain that was sort of shadowy in the background for much of Phase 2 and 3, uh, but sort of the Infinity Stones ran throughout the entire series of, of all of the MCU up to Endgame. And then starting with Endgame and moving into Phase 4, Phase 4, 5, and 6 are then going to be the multiverse saga, and then moving into the Kang saga, I believe. But that's how the MCU is organized, right? So it's so it's movies and TV shows are grouped into phases, phases are grouped into sagas that tell various kinds of stories. Uh, and that is how, as, as an entity, as a franchise, the MCU has already planned out release dates for projects, movies, and TV shows through 2028, I believe. At least I know there are official dates through 2026, which puts it 18 years from the 2008 Iron Man, which means that before too long, the MCU will be 20 years old, 21 years old. The MCU can drink very soon, you know. So, uh, so, but it is a fascinating sort of generational experiment because if you think yeah. about, if you think about right now, we're at, we're at what, 13 years? That's, that's like a tween. That means that somebody born, you know, somebody born in it's the year that Iron Man came out is now reach, nearly reaching the end of middle school. Um, and they're already starting to sass us. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Anywho, so that is what the MCU is, and what uh, and what we're going to be talking about is just Phase One, those first six movies tonight. So I've been babbling on for quite a while. This is our origin stories episode about the MCU. <laughs> So, Jeremy, I'm going to turn it over to you to share with us, what is your relationship with the MCU? Tell us some MCU so, stories. As far as as far as far Marvel, the comics, I unfortunately don't have a whole lot of experience with that. And I know people are going to cringe and be like, well, come on, man. How can you be a fan of the movies and not be a fan of the comic books? I've never really been a big comic book fan. Even though I do like them, it's just not ever been a passion of mine. That being said... I think the majority of the fans of the movies are probably uh, yeah, not comic yeah, book but, fans. But have you, you ever you ever seen what a, a, an Uber nerd does when you face him with something that's not quite what he expects? <laughs> yes, oh, yes. lordy, lordy. <laughs> I love you guys. But, but I interrupted yeah. you. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, as far as as far as the the uh, the, the Marvel movies, I do remember actually going and and seeing uh on a date night with my wife because my uh my oldest was still very very young so we got to put him with uh with the 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 parents and and also our daughter was newborn at the time put him with parents go out have a date night go have dinner and and watch uh watch iron man the thing that struck me about it is that they i know 
production quality is something that you'd expect from a big box office, you know, summer hit kind of thing. But it was it was done in such a way that it drew me in a lot. Of course, then you got to go watch the next ones. And then and then everybody knows they they've got on every one of the the uh, MCU movies, they've got that little end credit scene. Post credit uh, post credit scenes, yeah. And and so when the rest of the audience is filed out, you know, especially at the beginning, we because my wife and I have always been a big fan of, of watching everything all the way to the very end in the theaters. Uh, first time, first movie, you know, one or two people stay and watch the end, uh, the end credit scene. And then, then the next movie, you get a few more. And then next thing you know, the entire... Uh, uh, Stadium seating is full with people watching for the post credit scene. I, I love that you got that sense of community with all the nerds around you watching these movies and all you know, geeking out about it. Whether somebody so, who stayed in the theater for the post credits was definitely one of those like who's in the <laughs> club and who's not in the club kind of differentiator. And every time the MCU would come out with a particularly unique or exciting movie that uh that drew in additional audiences you know whether yeah. it was like um a winter soldier because it was a spy flick or whether it was a black panther because it was it was so important to the african-american community or whether it was an end game because it was such a so buzzy and talked about you yeah. could always tell who were the mcu people who would be sitting there <laughs> and who their butts would not move when the credits started and who was just there for this movie and couldn't care less about all the other movies because they got up as soon as the credits started rolling. And I agree with you. There's like there's like a sense of belonging when you're just sitting there and other people are sitting there and you're like, yeah, we know what's up. We know yeah. what's up. Yeah, we do. And, and then as as time went on with that, it, it the ultimate question, the ultimate question, how you defined yourself. Remember when it was... It was a uh, 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 Twilight. Whether you were Team Edward or Team Jacob, no, 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 no. The real question is: Are you Team Tony or are you Team Steve? And I, I, I have to coexist with my wife, who is very, very much Team Captain. I, I'm Team Iron Man, and, and I have very good. You resign the Sokovian Accords. I might have <laughs> now now politics aside but uh I, i'm gonna get a little personal here okay um so uh and it, it ultimately comes down to two camps with that it, it comes down to whether or not you're you, like a goatee no sorry go ahead mm, my apologies full beard full <laughs> beard whether or not you were more focused on your friends are are you is your friend, your best friend, or your your group of friends, are they the primary focus for you? Or is it a longing for family? It, spoiler, they there are scenes, and I'm not gonna go too deep into this, uh, because it's not it's not part of the Iron Man series, but it's it's part of uh Civil War when Tony is in his little holographic room and he's replaying the last minutes he remembers with his father and the the longing for family there and for me i've i've always had a, a group of very very core group of friends that i knew 
I could turn to, but I couldn't always turn to my family. And so that was where my longing was, with, was with family. And so I identified far more with Tony and his longing for family than Steve's longing for his friend. And, and it's, it's very different with, uh, with my wife because she, she always had a relatively stable, happy, as, as happy as you can be with uh, you know, any given family. But friends were always the, the sticking point for her. So uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that I literally broke down and cried at the end of Endgame. I really did. Uh, it was, and and if if you didn't have at least a tear in your eye at the end, and even actually at the end of Infinity War, you know. Oh heck yeah! Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's that loss of of family that I think why I identify with Tony far more than I identify with Steve. Hmm. Uh, so so that's that's my little two bits there. But as, as far as my attachment to MCU as a whole, I just think it's a heck of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they even when you get into things like the Scarlet Witch series and things like that, just a heck of a lot of fun. I watch that with my wife, you know, when, when we're watching the, the series like that. Loved it. Loved it. And I enjoy having fun. And Marvel satisfies that perfectly. It really does. It really does. So that's my attachment to it. The Wheel of Random Episodes selection discussion. Tonight, we are talking about Iron Man, the grandfather, the, the, the patriarch, the originator, the movie that launched the whole of the MCU. If this movie had been a giant flop, we may not have ever seen the MCU the way it exists right now. Uh, So we are so grateful. And we'll begin with our info facts. Iron Man from 2008 was directed by Jon Favreau. Screenplay by Mark Fergus, Hawk Ostby, which how about that name? Hawk Ostby, Art Markham, and Matt Holloway. Based on the Iron Man comics by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Don Heck, and Jack Kirby. This movie was produced by Avi Arad and, of course, Kevin Feige. It starred Robert Downey Jr., Terrence Howard, which we can talk about that, Jeff Bridges, Gwyneth Paltrow, Leslie Bibb, and Sean Tobe. Sean Tobe playing the crucial role of Dr. Yinsen. Tony's companion in the cave, so to speak. The production company was Marvel Studios, as we've already talked about. This one was distributed by Paramount Pictures because Marvel was brand new, just starting. It was a, This was its first film. The release, original release date was May 2nd, 2008 in the United States. Had a running time of 126 minutes, a budget of about $140 million. And according to Box Office Mojo... It has currently brought in $585,796,247. So, it it did well compared to its budget. Ooh, for a synopsis, I thought rather than give one myself, I would bring one from the internet. 
And so I looked up online and there are some wonderful YouTube videos that provide synopses for movies. He is billionaire playboy Tony Stark, who has inherited the defense contractor Stark Industries from his father, is in war-torn Afghanistan with his friend and military liaison, Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes, to demonstrate the new Jericho missile. The convoy is ambushed, and Stark is critically wounded by one of his own rocket-propelled grenades. He is captured and imprisoned in a cave by the terrorist group the Ten Rings, and an electromagnet is grafted into his chest by fellow captive Yinsen to keep the shrapnel shell shards that wounded him from reaching his heart and killing him. Stark and Yinsen secretly build a powerful electric generator called an arc reactor to power Stark's electromagnet and a suit of powered armor to aid in their escape. Although they keep the suit hidden almost to completion, the Ten Rings attack the workshop when they discover their intentions. Yinsen sacrifices himself to divert them while the suit powers up. The armored Stark battles his way out of the cave to find the dying Yinsen, then in anger, burns the Ten Rings weapons and flies away, crashing in the desert and destroying the suit. After being rescued by Rhodes, Stark returns home and announces that his company will no longer manufacture weapons. Obadiah Stane, his father's old partner and the company's manager, advises Stark that this may ruin Stark Industries and his father's legacy. In his home workshop, Stark builds an improved version of his suit, as well as a more powerful arc reactor for his chest. Personal assistant Pepper Potts places the original reactor inside a small glass showcase. Though Stain requests details, Stark keeps his work to himself. At a charity event held by Stark Industries, reporter Christine Everhart informs Stark that his company's weapons, including the Jericho, were recently delivered to the Ten Rings and are being used to attack Yinsen's home village. Gilmira. Stark also learns Stain is trying to replace him as head of the company. Enraged by these revelations, Stark dons his new armor and flies to Afghanistan, where he saves Yinsen's village. While flying home, Stark is shot at by two F-22 Raptor fighter jets. He reveals a secret identity to Rhodes over the phone in an attempt to end the attack. Meanwhile, the Ten Rings gather the pieces of Stark's prototype suit and meet with Stain, who subdues Raza with a sonic device and has the rest of the group killed. Stain has a new suit reverse-engineered from the wreckage, seeking to find any other weapons delivered to the Ten Rings. Stark sends Pepper to hack into the company computer system from Stain's office. She discovers Stain has been supplying the terrorists and hired the Ten Rings to kill Stark, but the group reneged. Potts meets with Agent Phil Coulson of S.H.I.E.L.D., a counter-terrorism agency, to inform him of Stain's activities. Stain's scientists cannot duplicate Stark's arc reactor, so Stain ambushes Stark at home and takes his, though Stark manages to get his original reactor to replace the taken one. Potts and several S.H.I.E.L.D. agents attempt to arrest Stain, but he dons his suit and attacks them. Stark fights Stain, but is outmatched without his new reactor to run his suit at full capacity. Stark lures Stain atop the Stark Industries building and instructs Potts to overload the large arc reactor there. This unleashes a massive electrical surge that causes Stain and his armor to fall into the exploding reactor, killing him. The next day at a press conference, Stark admits to being the superhero the press has dubbed Iron Man. The truth is... I am Iron Man. In a post-credits scene, S.H.I.E.L.D. director Nick Fury visits Stark at home, telling him that Iron Man is not the only superhero in the world, and explaining that he wants to discuss the Avengers Initiative. That recap 
was provided by uh, was provided by a YouTube user named Movies in Minutes, and he has provided that uh, that particular YouTube account, Movies in Minutes, has provided all kinds of I think like hundreds of movies in minutes. So this one was entitled Iron Man in Minutes slash Recap. So if you want to look at that, because it's YouTube, the recap narration that you heard was placed to clips from the movie. The entire thing is voiceover to uh, to an edit to edited clips from the movie. Those were the sound effects and quotes from the movie that you heard is what is playing on screen. So it's totally worth watching if you haven't been a chance haven't had a chance to watch the movie in a long time or a while. If you want to pause this episode and, and go watch the recap, it'll be give you a great reminder of the movie. Uh, in general, and I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate Movies in Minutes, uh, the YouTube channel, for uh, for doing such a great job with that recap. Jer, you watched Iron Man. What's your rewatch <laughs> reaction? <laughs> you know, like I said before, it is just pure fun. It's one of those movies that you kind of have to suspend belief a little bit, because, I mean, let's be real... We all know that an arc reactor can't exist, but you you do kind of... We do? Yes. Yes. As, what? As, I'm sorry. Why not? <laughs> I don't think most people know that an arc reactor is not a real possibility. You, you would be surprised. There are people that think that the Earth is still flat. Well, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. So as far as, as far as my rewatch reaction to it, it is it is a heck of a lot of fun. There's a reason why uh, the, the, it was so successful. Uh, I, I think they picked Robert Downey Jr. perfectly for that. And I do know that they that he credits the, uh, uh, the role as one of the things that helped him get out of a very dark place in his life. But he just nailed it. The, the cockiness... The cockiness. <laughs> Is there really any other word for uh, uh, a billionaire philanthropist playboy uh, that genius uh, that Batman? You know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I would you really call Batman a playboy though? I wouldn't really well, say Bruce he's a, Wayne. Bruce, yeah, to some extent. Anyhow. We're getting off track here. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry. But ultimately, you do see that that human side uh, of Tony in it where he does, one could say, he's just going out to test his tech by, by going and attacking that village and defending him. But he had his ulterior motives for it. I think you can see the confusion in him as to why he's being attacked back by the the American fighters. He doesn't understand because he thinks he's doing the right thing. In reality, he's just he he's playing that Bruce Wayne and being a uh, vigilante. Mm-hmm. He never lets go of that cockiness in the first movie. So you you kind of find yourself rooting for him and hating him at the same time, and then and then it all culminating in that press conference where he's sitting there holding the card. And he says that perfect pause. I am Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 
I, I love the fact that they, they have people like Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury. Again, the, the I think the entire movie is perfectly cast. Yeah. Everyone from Jeff Bridges to Robert Downey Jr., Samuel L. Jackson, although as, uh, as Gwyneth two, Paltrow. Although, as two bald, fully bearded guys, I must say, not a good look for the bald, bearded guy that it was the first villain in the MCU <laughs> sporting that well, particular look. <laughs> not not all of us can be, you know, the, the, the perfect bald bearded man out there. But I must say, so, yeah. as a villain, you cannot beat the name Obadiah Stane. No. I mean, that is, that is a villain's name if ever there was. I think also, and this is, this is where my limited comic book knowledge comes from you could see stan lee's hand in every bit of it uh john favreau does a great job of making sure that stan lee was woven into it uh and that it was really something that stan lee could point to and be proud of well the the production design is straight out of like my understanding is jack kirby did the art you know, yes. and so the production design, the look of Iron Man, the look of the prototype suit, the Mark One in the cave, the look of Iron Monger's suit, even is all straight out of the comics. And most, yes. and most yes. of the MCU, actually, the MCU has had some controversy over the fact that they take imagery directly out of the, their own comics and do not compensate the artists who create that imagery initially for the comics for the movies. Because comic book mm, artists, yeah. you okay. know, were were kind of screwed with with terrible contracts that that relinquished their own rights, and and there's actually been some renegotiating and some additional compensation provided for be. artists, for comic book artists, um, you know, as these as this mega franchise has grown and gotten bigger, uh, you know, to make some of that right because because the the look of Almost all the Marvel films are are like making comics leap off the page, and that is that is one that of the reasons why yeah. the MCU has has been so successful is because comic book fans uh, of all stripes love going to these movies because it's like their imaginations put up <laughs> on the big screen, you know, of, of the things that they have seen. Right, right. I love the fact that. They, be, they decided to begin the MCU with a movie that is quite grounded. Pardon the mm. pun since Iron Man flies. But, um, <laughs> but you know, the idea is that they, they waited 10 years before going full-blown magical multiverse dimensions and, and all kinds of comic book craziness. They started, they started real small. I think that was really smart with like a... At the time, you know, most of us don't realize now, but at the time, Iron Man was really kind of a C-list comic book hero. He wasn't as as universally known as he is now. He was yeah. kind of he was kind of almost a backbencher in the catalog, and because of that, they had the freedom to to experiment and to do yeah, something yeah. different with him, to do this kind of a movie, a movie that on the one hand is very grounded, realistic and in that sense, kind of serious. But on the other hand, the thing that I think launches the MCU and has kind of been woven through most of the MCU and certainly 
most of the of all the success the most successful MCU is the fact that it doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm. That there's jokes, that there's humor, that there's there's some <laughs> self-awareness to the fact that this stuff is ridiculous, you know? I yes, think that culminates yes. in I think that culminates in the second Avengers movie in Age of Ultron where Hawkeye is like we're we're on a floating city fighting a, a an army of robots and I'm running around with a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. You know, he literally <laughs> says that. Hey, hey, you okay? This is all our fault. Hey, look at me. It's your fault. It's everyone's fault. Who cares? Are you up for this? Are you? Look, I just need to know, because the city is flying. Okay, look, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots. And I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. <laughs> but I'm going back out there, because this is my job. Okay, and I can't do my job and babysit. Doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you go out there, you fight, and you fight to kill. Stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come find you, but if you step out that door, you are an Avenger. Alright, good chat. Yeah, the city is flying. Which is fantastic because <laughs> that that frees us to just be able to enjoy it without having to get yeah. caught up in the whole, oh, but this is ridiculous. You know, yeah, everybody knows it is. Sit back, enjoy, don't take it, don't worry about it so much. And, and that is one of the things that characterizes most starkly, but, <laughs> <laughs> hey. characterizes the difference between the MCU on the one hand and the DCEU, the DC Comics Extended Universe, the initial movies that set up their first universe under the direction of Zack Snyder, those movies were all like super dark and gritty and like, you know, uh, and like about superheroes fighting each other and everything else. And you kind of almost lost the whole superheroes are there to help people motivation. Whereas MCU, from the jump, from this movie Iron Man, it's all about self-sacrifice, helping others, and also remembering that uh, this there's some silliness to it all and you should be able to have fun with it. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that really draws me into it. And and the fact that they continue that on and don't kind of let it become a, a side part of it. Uh, you know, they they carried it on with with Spider-Man, uh but Spider-Man is inherently one of those those stories that's also just a lot of fun and funny too while it's being serious. Be serious enough where you're enjoying it, you're on the edge of your seat. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But then you, they they throw that that zinger out there, that one-liner and it's just like entertaining. Hey. Ow. So the more you struggle, the more this is going to hurt. Be gentle, it's my first time. I designed this to come off, so... Ow! Hey! I'm rushing you. Please try not to move. Hey. What's going on here? Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. 
It also, I think, I think in, in, in another way that they did that, too, has to do with the Easter eggs. You know, we've yes, talked yes. about, we've talked before about how Easter eggs, when handled well, are a perfect way to provide fan service that enhances the experience for those in the know. When, when we did the Dungeons and Dragons episode of, of yeah. Two Guys, a Franchise, we talked about this, that, that Honor Among Thieves has a bazillion de- Easter eggs but if you know nothing about Dungeons and Dragons, it doesn't matter. It doesn't detract from it. And the same can be said for the MCU is a master of putting in Easter eggs all over the place for the comic book nerds who know all of the history of the comic books. You know, the fact that I'll, I'll give one example, the fact that the entire movie, Phil Coulson keeps saying, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from the Strategic Homeland Initiative and, uh, you know, whatever that whole acronym was. <laughs> Fox. Yes. Can I speak to you for a moment? I'm, I'm not part of the press conference, but it's about to begin right now. I'm not a reporter. I'm Agent Phil Coulson with the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. That's quite a mouthful. I know. We're working on it. You know, we've, we've been approached already by the DOD, the FBI, the CIA. We're a separate I... division. And more than once, one of the characters in the movie says, Boy, that's a mouthful. And he goes, yeah, we know. And then it's not till near the very end of the movie where Coulson interrupts Pepper uh, by saying, "Just call a shield." And then, and you know, and and even for those who are who know nothing about Marvel comics, that's still like, "Oh, that's a cool acronym." But for the rest of the audience, who's all steeped in the comics, it's like, "Oh yeah, I knew it, Shield," you know. <laughs> and that and that then culminates with the Nick Fury with the with the 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 guy with the eye patch, you know. So- uh, coming in, I, I gotta, I gotta throw this in there. My brother-in-law is a huge, huge comic book fan. He uh, DC. He's he, he has Batman tattoos. He loves Batman. Awesome. Uh, he also loves Marvel. His wedding was superhero themed. <laughs> so me thinking, I, I've got to do this right. I, I got myself the the you know white shirt, black tie, black jacket, black slacks. And I went and I printed myself. You could go online. I don't know if you still can or not, but you can put your picture in and make a shield like name badge thing, like uh, identification. That's awesome. And so I wore that and stood up there and as as a Grimsman wearing it just proudly. And if anybody got too close, I, you know, I'd put my glasses on and kind of push away <laughs> in good fun. <laughs> but anyhow. It was a heck of a lot of fun being That's an awesome. agent of Shield. An agent of Shield. <laughs> an agent of Shield. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and uh, the only other thing I agree with everything you said. The only other thing that I would comment upon uh, that we that hasn't been said so far is, um, you know, I want to piggyback and start by piggybacking off of the casting, and specifically Robert Downey Jr. It's kind of it's kind of you know it's as much canon as the stories that. Robert Downey Jr. was born to play this role. That he that he you know he kind of lived a, a, a Tony Stark experience, and so was the perfect actor. And how when a role and an actor are just made for each other, it's just it's just magical. But what I what I wanted to piggyback off of that was to say one of the reasons why it was perfect casting is because, uh, as you alluded to, Robert Downey Jr. himself has had substance abuse problems, run-ins with the law, those kind of things. He is a flawed human being, 
And likewise, Tony Stark is a flawed human being. In the comics, he's an alcoholic. He's a straight-up yeah, alcoholic, yeah. you know, in, in the 12 steps and everything uh, at times. They didn't hide the fact that he's a totally arrogant, self-centered, womanizing, you know, yeah. kind of uh, kind of jerk in many ways that he has these flaws. Uh, they were well on display. And one of the classic ways to differentiate Marvel and DC as, as comic book houses, one of the ways that I have heard it described is that Marvel's heroes are humans and DC's heroes are gods. You know, when you think about it, it's like Superman yeah. Yeah. and Wonder Woman is literally a dead god, you know, like, like uh, from, uh, from Amazonian, uh, uh, you know, demigod status, you know, and then Green Lantern, a cosmic cop with these unlimited yeah. powers yeah. and Hawk, uh, Hawk Man with these wings and, and weaponry. And so DC is all about these, these heroes that are sort of like beyond human with these extraordinary powers, whereas in Marvel, all the heroes... Are kind of flawed. You mentioned it. You referenced it when you talked about Spider Man. Spider Man's yes. this scared teenager who he lost is, his he, yeah. parents and then his his father figure, his uncle. You know, in a way that he blames himself. Tony is, uh, you know, Tony is that the and, in this in Phase One, another Phase One movie is Thor. Thor yeah. tells the story about how he's a spoiled brat who is not ready to become king, even though he believes he should be king. Uh, it should just be given to him. And it's the and it's the the first, his first movie, his story arc is all about sort of coming down off his high horse and realizing that he is a completely spoiled jackass who doesn't <laughs> know what it means to be human, what and it means true. to be vulnerable. The Jotuns must learn to fear me, just as they once feared you. That's pride and vanity talking, not leadership. Gotten everything I taught you. But a warrior's patience. While you wait and be patient. The nine realms laugh at us. If the old ways are done, you'd stand giving speeches while Asgard falls. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy. And you are an old man and a fool. Throughout the entire MCU, they, they really kind of go back on this emphasizing, re-emphasizing that they are flawed and they are going to make mistakes. And that it's part of not just their legacy as a superhero to to make mistakes, but as a human being to make mistakes. And this is not in any way a knock on DC because we all know that the DC characters are, are severely, sometimes cripplingly flawed. That in and of itself is, is a great piece for a superhero to be, is to be flawed. And to recognize in themselves that flaw and to overcome that. You know, particularly as you get farther along in the phases uh, of, of MCU, uh, the, the into the saga, you see how they are continually troubled by their flaws and realize that it is not just a, yep, you know what, I got over that flaw. I'm a much better person. I, I'm, I'm ready to do everything right. But it's that they... they continually struggle with their flaws and realize that they it is it's a marathon not a sprint and i think that's one of the reasons why the mcu is so brilliant in its experiment with multi-movie contracts to actors is that the same actor coming back to portray a character allows that character to have the same kind of the same face, the same mannerisms, yes. the same look, the same personality that he portrayed in previous movies, so that the so that the writers can really 
do a great job in showing how these characters are flawed. And as flawed characters, they're not necessarily all going to get get along perfectly. Yeah. I think one of the yeah. most brilliant things about Marvel's The Avengers, the first movie, culminating movie, the movie that ended phase one that we're talking about, is the fact that when the Avengers first meet each other, they kind of hate each other. They, kinda, <laughs> yeah, they, they really do. rub they each do. other the wrong way because <laughs> their personalities are so very different. And that was so smart, you know, because it, it kept it real, that whole, like, yes. grounded yeah. in realism. Realistically, even though someone has committed their life to heroism mm-hmm. and has mm-hmm. overcome some personal flaws, doesn't mean your personality traits go away. It right? just means they get yeah. expressed differently. And when they bump up against other personalities, you know, you talk about the goody-goody two-shoes of Captain America against, like, the <laughs> the heavy metal spewing uh, arrogance, cockiness of Tony Stark compared to then the self-righteous, uh, you know, God Thor. Obviously, when they yeah, come together, yeah. they're going to bump heads, you know, they're going to knock heads. And it's, it's great how they, they take all those type A personalities and they... they each one of them thinks that they should be the one in charge. Uh, and, right, and, yeah. uh-huh. and ultimately, they they all wind up do, you know, sharing that burden because different they realize aspects. different yeah. aspects of it because they yeah. ultimately they couldn't do it on their own. Yeah. And and on through, um, you know, through the the uh, Age of Ultron and, and, and beyond, you see them that continually butting heads. You brought up the, the Sokovia Accords, <laughs> that whole fight, that whole argument, realizing that they are still very much flawed and their flaws are on public display. And they're very different people. Very different, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's what makes Civil War make any kind of sense. You know, when you, mm, talk yeah, to, yeah. when you talk to somebody, I remember when Civil War was out and there were those who were not comic book fans, not MCU movie fans, who, and they'd be like, wait a minute, the good guys are fighting each other? That doesn't make any sense. He'd be like, no, no, it really does make sense. If you understood <laughs> the whole, like, you know, what was going on? Right, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. My relationship, my origin story with the MCU. So I'm fairly certain that I have seen all of the movies in the theater. Uh, I don't, I only have certain, I don't really have a lot of memories about premieres or like going to them the first time. I do remember that I went to Iron Man, this the one we were just talking about. I do remember it was a double date. My wife and I and two of our dear friends um, went, went to see it together. I do remember that. And one thing that I do remember is when the MCU hit its 10th anniversary, when there were a decade of movies, and I think it was, I think it was right around the time of Civil War. I'm not sure of, of that, but around their 10th anniversary, Marvel uh, put out a film festival in which there was like this uh, four day, four or five. I think it was a week. I think it was a Monday through Friday. There was this week long 10th anniversary Marvel 10th anniversary film festival in which IMAX theaters sold special passes where if you bought the pass, you could go to as many of the movies as you wanted. Because at the time, I happened to be in a job that had the flexibility for me to be able to to sneak away for an entire afternoon and evening on on a weekday, and because my son's high school 
let out pretty early and there was like a half day in there or something. Uh, I remember we, we bought passes to this 10th anniversary festival and I saw two, like between two and four movies a day for three or four days. It was, yeah. it was crazy. It was wow. like, it was like one of those hardcore, like, you know, seats in butts for hours and hours and hours. Like you had to like go jog around the lobby in between movies just to get the blood flowing. Uh, but how much fun it was for me and my son. But I watched, I want to say I watched 12 movies in, wow. in the course of those like three, three or four days. And it was, it was just a wonderful experience to really sort of dive deep into what made these movies tick, why did they work. I've, I've spent a lot of time with it. The thing that makes the MCU, and especially tonight's movie, Iron Man, near and dear to my heart, is at the time that they were coming out in uh, you know phase one, phase two, etc., I worked for... Uh, for a church, I was my job was providing education and retreats to to kids at uh, at churches. From the time Iron Man came out, from the from the first time I watched it, I knew that I was going to pull clips from this movie to use <laughs> in my teaching about it. And frankly, it's one of the reasons why I think the MCU has been so much more successful than the DC movie universes is because the argument I, I've made for 12 years now is that the MCU got superheroes right in the sense of a satisfying superhero movie is at its core about overcoming our limitations and living for others. Uh, is about self-sacrifice. In the Christian religion, obviously, the central symbolism of the religion is a man giving his life up to save everybody else, right? That's what Jesus is. He dies on a cross so everybody else could be saved. And so his willingness to die to save others is very much a superhero archetype. So so what you're saying, though, if I'm, if I'm hearing this right, is not only Tony Stark Iron Man, but Tony Stark is Jesus too. I'm I'm so kidding. In the Avengers, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In the, no, no. Yeah, no. In no. the Avengers, he is because yes, in yes. the Avengers, he's willing <laughs> to fly the nuke through the thing and, and face his own death. Right? He doesn't. He does You know. I mean, you can make yeah. arguments, but in in the first Iron Man. I don't think he's really facing his own death. Oh no, no. It's no. in it's in the Avengers that he really is like. Okay, this is it. I'm going to die. Yes. And what was brilliant about it is Iron Man 3, the third movie in, in the specific Iron Man trilogy, was all about how that changed him, which which is what I yes. love. You know, the, oh, yeah. the, the, yeah. the plot of Iron Man 3 is driven by the fact that he's freaked out by the fact that he almost died, right? Yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. But in Iron Man 2008, it's not Tony who's Jesus, it's Yinsen. That's true. Jensen yeah. sacrifices himself for Tony. And for years, when I would give, so one of the sacraments of the church is confirmation. It's kind of a, a an adulthood rite of passage in Christianity. And I would do these confirmation retreats. 
And during these confirmation retreats, I would show to these kids near the end of the retreat, because the thesis of my of, of a lot of my retreat was confirmation is not an ending, it's a beginning. Because a lot of a lot of kids, you know, because it was the last sort of mandatory church classes you have to take, it's sort of a lot of kids would view confirmation as an ending, like thank God I'm graduating from church classes. I don't have to go anymore. Whereas the idea is that no confirmation is a beginning that launches you into a Christian life where you're just getting started, where you get you get God's grace to go out and do good things. And so I would I would end my confirmation retreat with this with the clip that you actually was in the recap. You heard a little snippet of it. Uh, the clip where Jensen sacrifices himself for Tony. And what happens is when Tony, when the suit finally boots up and Tony follows Jensen out, Jensen is lying there dying. Stop. Come on. We gotta go. Move with me. Come on, we gotta plan. We gotta stick to it. This was always the plan. Stop. Come on, you gotta go see your family. Get him. And so I would play that clip and then I would turn to these like 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, and I would say, listen, this is the conversation we're supposed to have with Jesus. Up there on that cross, he's died, he died for you, and he's telling you, don't waste it. Don't waste your life. And the only thing that we can say is, thank you for saving me, and then go out and be a superhero. Go out and sacrifice yourself. Go out and be willing to be the brave one who does the right thing instead of the easy thing. Who does the thing that makes you not popular but protects the the poor the learn the corner who's getting bullied, you know, or or the different kid or the marginalized kid. You go protect him even though it's going to cost you. That's what being a superhero mm -hmm. is, and that's why superheroes in general have become today's monster pop culture because it's our modern mythology it yeah, teaches us yeah. right and wrong it reminds us to aspire to be better to do more to go out and and make it a, a world in which people don't have to be afraid in which people don't have to worry about being killed in your village to, to go back and reference iron man 2008 so i have a deep held affection and love for the MCU because I have used the materials to mm. illustrate teachings um, in my professional life for many years. One, uh, I'll give you one more example if you'll indulge me. It's from phase two, so I might bring it up again later. But uh, in Doctor Strange, the mm. first Doctor Strange movie, I use the clip all the time where the Ancient One is talking to Doctor Strange and he is almost figured out what it is to be a superhero because he and Tony Stark, in addition to sharing the facial hair stylings, also share that arrogance of knowing everything, of mm, being yeah. the being the the you know, being the the most superior at what they do, etc. And and Doctor Strange has almost figured it out, but the ancient one 
uh, kind of pushes him over and teaches him that final lesson when she says, You have such a capacity for goodness. You always excelled, but not because you crave success, but because of your fear of failure. That's what made me a great doctor. It's precisely what kept you from greatness. Arrogance and fear still keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. Which is? It's not about you. And then he goes and the movie ends with him sacrificing himself over and over and over again, being willing to die. And so I think that more than almost more than anything else, I think that is the heart of why the MCU has been so successful, has captured so many fans, so many imaginations and done such a wonderful thing. And I think it's one of the reasons why as it grows more and more vast and complicated, it gets more difficult for people to remain as emotionally invested because it starts to teach other kinds of lessons or explore other kinds of moral challenges. Things get more gray and messy and complicated as as the MCU grows and proliferates. And I think that's one of the reasons why you hear more and more complaints about, oh, it's just too big, it's just too whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very cool. I did not know that. Now we turn once again to one of our favorite segments where the host provides surprise fun to the co-host. Ooh. And so I have brought for my co-host, Mr. Jeremy... I have brought another playlist on my phone. Ooh. This time, we're playing a game I'm calling Name That Phase One Superhero Theme Song. So I gathered together some of the uh, themes from the scores, the soundtracks, of these first six movies, and I'm going to play a little snippet of it, and we're going to see how fast Mr. Jeremy can correctly identify which superhero or team up the uh the theme goes with all right so it's all from phase one so there are going to be some that i think are going to be a little hard and some that i think are going to be ridiculously easy okay all right so here we go song number one No. I'm, I'm not sorry. very good at these kinds of things. <laughs> that is uh that is Thor. That is Thor? From the movie okay. Thor. That is Okay. That is the totally uh, that. the track Thor kills the destroyer. So that is sort <laughs> of the, the heroic theme that emerges when Thor comes and kills the destroyer, the giant silver monster. All right. The phase 1 is the earliest movie, so they haven't the the the, the Marvel Studios hasn't quite gotten into the whole like an identifiable theme quite yet, you know? So so I had to do the best I could with yeah. picking some tracks. All right, here's one. Here's one that is literally labeled blank, the name of the superhero, theme, end credits. All right, here we go. Okay.
Yeah. It's on the you tip have, of my tongue. You have no idea what it is. Go with that. Think about that. No idea who it is. So, so logically, if, if you have no idea who it is, which movie of those first six are most likely? I was going to go with Hulk. Yes, that's right. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> that is. That's right. Go with your gut, man. Yeah, Go with your gut. Again, I, I that is I, the Hulk theme from the movie The Incredible Hulk, which, which frankly, a lot of people don't even I, realize is in the MCU. You know, it's it's <laughs> one of those things because it's so disparate from the rest of them. Yeah. And I, like I said, I love Edward Norton. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think that role was necessarily right for him. Yeah. Well, there's a reason that uh, Ruffalo came in. Mark you know. Ruffalo, again, if you're listening, I could use a signed <laughs> autograph here, bro. Come on, don't leave me hanging, brother. Don't leave me hanging. Okay. I'm hearing an implied challenge for next year's birthday present. <laughs> All right. All right. Here's, here's the next one. You ready? Here's yeah, go one. for it. Takes a minute to get started. Time to guess. People are screaming yeah. at their own phones going, I, I'm Come gonna... on, man! <laughs> and and I will tell you that the pressure is real. <laughs> it is real. <laughs> All right, guessing time. <laughs> okay, I was going to go with Captain America, but nope. no, it was not. That is not. Iron Man. Iron Man. Dun, 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 dun. dun, dun no, dun, no, dun, no. Dun, okay, dun, okay. Uh... All right, here we go. The last two are going to yes. be gimmies. Are you ready? Here, let's, okay, let's okay. just do the last one. Avengers. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, that, that theme carries on for the entire Yep. Yeah, I think I think this one, the Avengers theme, has has grown to, like, Back to the Future, Jurassic Almost, Park. Almost, yeah. Kind of Almost. status of, like, you just hear that music and it, like, yeah. takes you, it just yeah. takes you there. Takes you there. And now, normally, we would turn to the Wheel of Random Episode Selection to clue you in to what we would be discussing next week. However, next episode of Two Guys in a Franchise is going to be a special episode, a little bit outside our normal format, and we are going to be discussing film series and sequels, movie sequels and movie series, and as such, we thought it'd be fun to finish out, since we just recently had an episode on Back to the Future, we thought it'd be fun to watch 
Back to the Future Part 2 and Part 3 to finish out that trilogy as a context to discuss film sequels and series. What makes a good sequel? What makes a bad sequel? What's How do film series work? Which ones work and which ones don't work and why? That's what we're going to talk about next time on Two Guys and a Franchise. So if you would like to either participate in or at least just be ready for our conversation, uh, you can revisit Back to the Future Part 2 and Part 3 for our next episode of Two Guys and a Franchise. Until then, I am Jerry. I am Jeremy. And invite you to uh, join us online at twoguysandafranchise.com, all spelled out T-W-O-G-U-Y-S-A-N-D-A, franchise.com, <laughs> or email us feedback at twoguysandafranchise.com. We are available at everywhere you might get your podcasts. We hope you have a wonderfully nerdy week. 